And you can be seated. Hey, just a couple things for you real quick. Uh, really need your involvement in two things. One is THX, and the, the second one is to register for Sunday morning service. So if you're here this morning, you didn't register, we're so glad that you're here. But if you would begin to register, that would really help us. And the way that it helps us is it helps us plan how many services we need. And so registering is pretty simple. If you download the app, Outward Church, uh, the Outward Church app, um, there should be a link right at the top that just says register. So you can register for service uh, and, uh, and, and be, be a part of service as, as a result. Um, our, our plan right now is to add as many services as we need in order to be able to, uh, uh, to function and to do that uh, within uh, what the, the guidelines and, and things like that. So uh, the other thing that you can do is that you can uh, sign up for the 11 a.m. service, which is not as uh, sought after, and so that would be, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, our, our plan right now would be to do three Sunday morning services, which may mean that we'd be at like 8.30, um, 10, and, and uh, I think 11.30 is what we've, what we've discussed in trying to make that happen. So having said that, I, you, you really need to watch every week, uh, look, and make sure that the times are still the same because there's a lot of movement that's happening. It's still continuing. And so we, we just uh, find that it's just easier for us to just make quick decisions instead of saying, hey, it's gonna be this many weeks until this happens. We just decide to do it. And so that's, uh, that's, that's what we do here at Outward Church. And so watch the times. Make sure you check our Facebook or our, our app or whatever. We're gonna try to make that really clear. Don't look on, on Google and Google our, our website and stuff. That stuff doesn't change frequently enough. Um, you gotta look on the fresh stuff. Uh, Facebook and uh, the, the app and uh, the website and stuff. So that would be super helpful. So thank you for uh, helping us with that and uh, being a part of that. We're not sharing your name or number with anyone uh, unless there were to be some type of a COVID uh, outbreak apocalypse here at Outward Church. So not to worry you about that, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's uh, um, reassuring. So anyway, uh, so then we also have uh, THX, which is coming up. THX is our Thanksgiving event where we typically give a, uh, a meal, a Christmas tree, some gifts and stuff like that. And uh, so we're raising funds for that right now. So THX, we need to raise about $30,000. And so you can be a part of that uh, by sponsoring a family. Uh, you can sponsor a family. I believe it's for $70. I forgot to look at this before I came up here. $70. You could sponsor uh, individual, uh, individually wrapped meals. This is a new thing that we're adding this year that we can just pass out to people who didn't sign up or you could just buy one meal. And so there's just different levels there that you could uh, help out with. And so what we'd ask from you is as Outward Church that you would give above and beyond your regular giving to THX because oftentimes what happens, I say this every year, but like we need to raise 30 grand, but guess where that comes from? Like, well, I'd rather tithe to feed people than to actually uh, um, keep the organization running. But we need both. I know that sounds crazy. We need both. And so uh, help us with that by giving towards that. That would be uh, so awesome. 
Um, THX has been an awesome event where we get to connect with people from the community that wouldn't normally come and hang out at Outward Church, wouldn't normally come and be around us. And so uh, we, we love that. We typically gather in here, but we're not going to gather in here because that'll be 300 people uh, probably that would be coming to serve. And so we're going to figure out how to do that with social distancing and all the other uh, stuff like that. We may be meeting out there in the rain. I'm not sure. Uh, we're going to let you know. It depends on the weather as we get closer. So give to THX, be a part of that. And uh, this year we're actually having Fresh and Local, which is a local you know, cafeteria food provider. Uh, she's awesome. Evan Remington is fantastic. Um, she's the owner of, of that business. Really excited to work with her. And so they're going to be doing the food so that we can do everything uh, safely uh, this year. So those are my two things. We are in the passage that was just read to you, Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 18 and following. I'm uh, going to be primarily focusing on verse 23, if I remember correctly here. I should know this. I'm the one that studied this. Yes, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, this whole idea of denying oneself. We've been denied quite a few things this year, right? Uh, we talk about it every Sunday. Uh, it, it's because it's what's going on. Um, but uh, 2020, obviously, there's all the memes about how 2020 is the worst year ever. And uh, it just so much hilarity uh, that has happened with, with that. But uh, 2020 has been a tough year, no doubt. Uh, I think Maybe we can just stop talking about that. But uh, I'm going to talk about it one more time this Sunday. But my question to you this morning is, what if 2020 is actually not the worst year, but what, what if it's actually the best year? What if 2020 is an opportunity that maybe you've never had before? What if 2020 is actually, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's good that people have passed away because of coronavirus. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that wildfires were a good thing. I'm not, I'm, not say, I'm not saying that. I'm saying something similar to what Rahm Emanuel, the chief of staff of President Obama said, which was, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. I mean, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. So I'm just, I'm just going along with Rahm Emanuel. I'm preaching out of Rahm Emanuel's Bible this morning uh, in that respect. I'm just kidding about that. You guys awake this morning? Wake up. Come on. Good grief. 9 a.m., Uh, I I like you. I like you. Okay. I didn't mean to make it sound like I don't, but okay. What if 2020 is actually the best year and not the worst year? What if it's the best year because it's a great crisis in our life? It's a crisis of faith. And maybe you haven't had faith before this or what you thought wasn't faith. Or maybe you did have faith and you're like, God, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing all this So why are you allowing this to happen? How can a good God allow evil things? And what I often like to reply to that, how could a good God not allow evil to happen in our world? Because it's perhaps the best thing that's ever happened to you. It's perhaps the best thing that's ever happened to you because you've lost experiences. You've maybe lost money. You've maybe lost a lot of different things. And I grieve with you. I grieve for you, especially over the loss of life. But one of the most important things that you may have lost in 2020 is yourself. 
Maybe one of the most important things that you, that you finally see is that you've lost an identity that was built on the American dream. What if, what if America, what if the curtain is being pulled back on America and we see behind the curtain that all of this American dream talk and all of the talk about success and all of the talk about prosperity and all of the talk about how this is the greatest nation in the world. What if the curtain is being ripped back and pulled back and we're, we are seeing our American dream for what it actually is? What if you're actually seeing the reality? And that is that if you build an identity on something that is temporary, then your peace, your comfort, your hope is merely temporary. It is completely built on, it is completely dependent upon other people, experiences, finances, perceived safety, perceived uh, prosperity. And, but we know inherently that that stuff isn't real, that it's not eternal, that it's not going to last forever. And really what 2020 has blessed you with is that you cannot build your identity. You cannot build yourself on anything but on Jesus. And this passage talks about this. This passage talks about what it means to truly have an identity that's built on Jesus, the unchanging God, to have an identity that's built on the gentle and lowly Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is eternal, and his hope is eternal in the gospel. See, what this passage is, is talking to us about is it's, it's talking to us about what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it shows us that through the hope, through the good news of the gospel, although it does not sound like good news. Because in the kingdom of God, that is the kingdom that God is establishing versus the kingdom that you are establishing or that uh, America is establishing or that the Republican Party is establishing or that the Democratic Party is establishing or Libertarian or whatever your weird political views are, whatever, whatever that is, whatever is going on, the, the kingdom that we are establishing is temporary, is futile, and will not last forever, but the kingdom that God is building is forever and it brings hope today. If you'll notice at the top of the passage, Peter answers Jesus. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God. He says the Christ of God, meaning that he is the Messiah, meaning that he is the one that Israel has been waiting for. He is the savior of Israel. He is the one who's going to right all the wrongs. He's the one that's going to restore order, that's going to restore them. 
And so Peter answers correctly in saying, you are the Christ of God. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would leave here today saying that he is the Christ of God and I must give myself to him. My prayer for you this morning is that you would no longer put it off, that you would no longer believe in the American dream, that you would no longer sit here and hope in and trust in your perceived Christianity, but that you would put your hope in the Christ of God, that is, Jesus Christ. That's my hope, that you would, with Peter, say that as well. Peter recognizes this. He says, that's who you are. And Jesus says, okay, I just want you to know where I'm going. I want you to know what's happening here. And he says, just so you're aware, in verse 22, the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes. That's the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling Jewish group of people that are there. Jesus says, all the church people have got to reject me. That's what's going to happen. Jesus is prophesying that. Like, this is going to take place. And he says, and ultimately I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And it's just kind of like it goes over the, the disciples' head. But Jesus says, okay, uh, if I am the Christ of God, I just need you to see that instead of this being this, uh, instead of it looking like it's an upward trajectory, it's going to look like a downward trajectory. Hate that word, but you know what I mean, okay? Like I said, what if 2020 is the best year? Not the worst year. Because what Jesus is talking about right there makes it sound like that's going to be the worst, but it's actually the best. It's the greatest amount of hope possible. And so he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Look at what it says in the next Verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's the main problem with the American dream, with what we thought life was like prior to 2020. We thought we had found a self. Jesus is saying here, you lost yourself. Church, Christian people, we have lost ourself. The church in many respects is complacent, is dead, does not really buy into who Jesus is. There are studies on this of bad theology that most people hold, such as Jesus not being God, Things like that that are not true. The church has lost its way. Jesus says this. If anyone wants to come after me, then this is what it needs to look like. What you need to see, first of all, is that the invitation is not 
to just some people, not to just Israel. It's not just to, uh, to people who have not been a part of the church, that is the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and so forth. It's not just the good people. It's not just the bad people. But it's anyone. The invitation to you this morning is that if anyone wants to come after me. And so church, as a group of people that have lost our way, we must admit that we have lost our way. And we must see, like, what does it really mean? What does it actually mean to come after him? Because the invitation is to me that anyone can come after him. Anyone, anybody, any person. The person who walked in here or who is watching online who has no religious affiliation, that's anyone. The person who uh, considers themselves uh, their self-religious and yet has never committed themselves to Christ. That's anyone. The person who believes and yet is dead in their faith. Meaning, there's very little sacrifice. There's very little connection with other Christian people. There's, uh, or it's just kind of been the same for a long time and it has turned, to, turned into something that you're just continually doing and continually doing. There's no change. There's no passion. There's no excitement about who Jesus is. It's just where it is. If anyone, that means you, religious person, Christian person, if anyone wants to come after me, what's he say? Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. So three things. He says, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Those three things that Jesus is calling you to in the midst of discipleship. Jesus is calling you first to deny yourself. Now, you can look at that and you can say, that doesn't sound like the good news. That sounds like the bad news. That sounds like what I thought religion was all along, which is that I just need to stop doing the bad stuff and start doing the good stuff. It means I got to stop having fun and I got to start being this morbid, dry person who doesn't get to enjoy life, doesn't get to whatever it is, fill in the blank. But here's the thing. The world has told you a lie And the lie is this, that you find yourself, you will find yourself as you no longer deny yourself. Don't deny yourself anything. Think about this for a moment. Hear me on this. The world's message to you is deny nothing. Deny absolutely nothing that you desire. Do not deny it. In fact, they would say, that isn't heaven. That isn't good news. That's bad news. That's hell. To be denied something. And God, in his absolute graciousness, has allowed some things to be taken away from you, to be taken away from me. Perceived safety, security, perhaps money, relationship, God has allowed those things to be taken from you. So Jesus says, let him deny himself. What does that mean? Well, it is an all-encompassing, whole person idea of letting go 
of things, such as the mind. Be out of your mind? Is that what, is that what we're saying? No, it's, it's the idea that you should deny no thought that comes into your mind. It's the idea that your understanding, that your thoughts, that your ideas, that your reality, what you have created and concocted in your mind is truth. That that is truth and that everyone else's truth is just their truth. And so what what you have in your mind, that is truth. And so therefore, you should be fine because you have the right intellect. You have the right understanding. You've done all the reading. You've done all all the stuff. But Jesus says, in order to come to me, in order for anyone to be with me, what first must happen is that the mind must be released from the idea that my ways are higher than God's ways, that my thoughts are higher than God's thoughts because it is just the opposite. His thoughts, his ways, his reality. As creator God, he has dictated that this this is what reality is. This is what truth is. And our minds try to concoct our own truth. And our world reveals that to us as there's chaos in the streets. Do you, do you think that the American dream is being realized? The American dream of do whatever you want, think whatever you want, believe whatever you want? Do you think that that is a great fulfillment in our society? Because we have many people that have sincerely held beliefs that are battling it out, not just in the streets, but on social media, in their marriages, all over the place. People have their own ideas of what life is like. In order to come to Jesus, you must deny yourself in the area of the mind and take on this idea of what Jesus brings to me seems like foolishness. But he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It looks like foolishness, but by the power of his spirit, he awakens our eyes to see, oh, I've just been doing my own thing. The second thing is the will. So we start with the mind, we go to the will. The will is essentially this. The will is saying that I will do whatever I want. I will be in charge. It is it is my will that will be done on this earth. However, what the Lord's prayer says is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The person that says, I want to come after him, I want to be with him, the person that says that I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who says, it's not my will, but thy will. As Jesus said, just before his suffering on the cross. Father, take this, if it, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus himself is submitting himself and his will, his desires to the Father. 
Think about what your thoughts have been about 2020. You might say to yourself, like I would, that is, if I wouldn't have done it that way. God, if you're trying to get our attention, America's attention, I wouldn't have done that. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The first thing is the mind. The second thing is the will. The third thing is the emotions. What are we denying ourselves in the emotions? The thought that my feelings, this is important to distinguish between the will and the mind, but it is my feelings so prevalent today. As young children begin to hear things about gender and what gender is and what gender isn't, and the parent says, because my child says that they feel this way, then they should be this way. It is the clearest example of our world saying, because these are your feelings, feelings are law. Emotions are law. If you feel that way, then everyone should function according to your feelings. That is the biggest lie that's ever been told. One, it's, it's not the biggest lie. It's one of the biggest lies. But it is similar to the biggest lie, which is in the garden. Adam and Eve, the serpent comes to Eve and says, God is keeping something from you by not allowing you to eat of that fruit. He knows that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. She looks at the fruit. She says, it is, uh, it's, it's a gorgeous fruit. It's, it's good for eating, and I'm going to take part in it. It's saying my feelings, my desires, my discernment are the greatest thing in this world. Our world is built on this idea that our feelings are king, that our emotions are king, and it's destroying us. It's destroying us. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. It also means the emotions. It also means this, the affections. When I, when I, when I think about the affections, I was, I was reading a George Whitfield sermon on this same thing, and he brought up this point, talking about the affections. When I hear that word, what it makes me think of is this, this word in the New Testament. It's used here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The word desires there is epithymia. And epithymia is two words put together. Epi, which is where we get our word epic, and thymia, which is desires, wants things like that. And it's used in areas where it's talking about like, it's not just a desire, it's an over-desire. See, Jesus wants us to deny ourselves because of this. It's not just that I like work, it's that I lust after work. It's not just that I like into intimacy, physical intimacy, it's that I have to have it. It's not just a desire, it's an over-desire. It has come over and it has taken over my life. How many people have I spoken with who are long since divorced later in life? And I realize divorce happens for a lot of different reasons and that may not be your reasons and so forth. But how many men have I spoken to especially who said, I should not have allowed 
my work life to overtake my family life. I did not put time into my family. Even married men that I've heard say this, who have said, I allowed that thing to become the number one thing and I would have spent so much more time with my kids. I would have spent so much more on time with my kids. But ultimately what it came down to is that they didn't just have a desire, they had an over-desire. Their affections had taken over their life. Their affections for stuff. See, here's the thing about stuff and work and, and even family. When it becomes an over-desire, you're no longer in charge of it. You no longer own it. You no longer are the one who's ruling over that. It rules you. You don't own stuff. Your stuff owns you. It's like my grass at my house. Some of you may know that I really like my grass. It is, it, it, it has become a hobby for me. I really love to study my grass. I like to look at my grass. I like to cut my grass. I, um, I fuss over it. I, uh, when people come over to my house, I wince because I think they're going to drive on my grass. And it's come to a point where I have to realize, like, this isn't just a love of grass. This is an addiction to landscaping, right? Like, this is, this is like, I don't own my grass. My grass owns me. Because... This may be a terrible example. I have no idea. <laughs> this is the worst. I should have spent more time on this sermon. I realize that, but just go with me for a moment. It owns me in some respects. Because, of, because then people come over to my house and they, and they say, I don't want to walk on your grass. And I'm like, it's here for enjoyment. But th- what they've seen and what they've experienced and what they've known is that it has become, in some ways, kind of everything to me sometimes. I'm saying that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but kind of not. My son, this last, I think it's this last Father's Day, made me a Lego creation of green grass, built a model of my riding lawnmower, and it said something like, Dad and his precious grass over top of it. And I was like, that's an indication that I have a problem, right? Like, these are issues. Like, they, we, we, we need to work on this. I don't know if there's a recovery group for that or something, but uh, just want to be open with you, right? These, these are my issues. Really, there's a lot more there. My affections, I don't own them. They own me. One of the biggest affections that Christian people have is an affection for family, they, they think that as a Christian person, family should be the highest thing, but they have put family above everything else. In fact, Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What do you think Jesus means by that? Does Jesus really want us to hate our family? No, this is what Jesus wants us to know. 
that when you love Jesus at the level that he's calling you to love him, when you have denied yourself, you've made space for Jesus in this, in this, in this respect, it's going to seem like hate of other people. And in fact, people may even accuse you and say, you hate me because you believe this stuff. You hate me, and that's okay. Because we can look at Jesus' words and say, man, if, 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 if I don't love Jesus so much so that it looks like, it almost looks like I hate everyone else, then am I really his disciple? Like, shouldn't there be a willingness there? See, Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross for you. The son of man is gonna be rejected and ultimately he's gonna be killed. And Jesus says, I am going to the cross for you. And he says, my true disciples are men and women who in essence go to the cross for me. See, Jesus says, what has to be crucified here? What has to be killed? It's our affections of stuff, of political alliances. Political alliances. Political alliances. Did you hear what I'm saying? There's an election coming up. How frustrated are you going to be if your candidate doesn't win? Hey, I'm with you too. Like I'm, and don't even try to guess who I'm voting for because it's not who you think. How frustrated are you going to be? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That is your thoughts on what is the best way forward for America because we are not about the kingdom of America. We are about the kingdom of God. And if it's true that the worst thing, the seemingly worst thing to ever happen, Christ dying on the cross was actually the best thing, was actually the greatest news, then it may also be that the worst candidate, whoever that is in your mind, may be the best thing that ever happened to America because it's going to further release our grasp on the hope of the American dream. And maybe then people can turn to the true Christ of God and say, I am somebody who is connected to the King of Kings. I am someone who is a disciple of Jesus. And I'm willing to deny myself because he denied himself for me. And he says, take up his cross. What's it mean to take up his cross? He says, first, I went to the cross for you. Anyone who desires that relationship with me can have it. My prayer to you this morning is that you would say, I'm willing to deny my mind, my will, my emotions, my affections, and anything else that comes up for Christ, and that you do that this morning.
But he said, the second thing that he says here is take up his cross. And taking up a cross is this. Think about this in Roman times. If you are a wrongdoer, if you broke the law, if you've done something, what it means is that you did not live in submission to Rome. You did not live in submission to the state. And so what the state does to you is they put a cross on you, and apparently it's confirmed that this oftentimes happened, the way that Jesus carried his own cross, that this oftentimes happened during that day. And so Jesus is speaking in a particular time, in a particular place, and they understand what it means to take up his cross, and that's essentially this. You're gonna carry your own instrument of death. You're gonna carry your own instrument of death, and what's gonna happen as a result is that this cross represents submission to the state Submission to the government where there hadn't been any prior. You're going to carry your cross. Jesus says this, in my kingdom, where I rule, where I reign, what I'm calling you to is I'm calling you to denial of self. Denial of self to the degree that you say, okay, not only am I putting all of this away, I'm making room for Jesus. Have you made room for Jesus? I'm making room for Jesus but I, by denying myself. But I'm not just denying myself. I am taking up my cross. I'm taking up the symbol of submission to the God of the universe. This is why we have love Jesus and live outward on the wall here. Love Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? It means that we are all about his story. That's the gospel. I'm laying it out for you. His people. We're about his people. But we're also about when we submit to his rule. That's not oftentimes in some type of vision statement. We put it there because it is imposing. Because we're saying this, to be a Christian is not just putting away the bad things or the good things that we have an over-desire for, but it's taking on a new ruling power. It is picking up the cross and saying, I'm living in submission to the king. I'm living in submission to the king. Do you live in submission to Jesus? Or do you live in in submission to your own thoughts, feelings, actions, emotions, stuff? Does your stuff own you? Or does Jesus own your stuff? Because when you, take, when you pick up your cross, you're taking on the rule and the reign of Jesus in your life. What do you do when you deny yourself with your finances? You pick up the cross that says, okay, what do I do with it? Does it mean that I have to sell everything immediately? No, it means it doesn't own me anymore. Jesus owns it. It means that I can release it easily, that I could be generous with it. It means that I don't have to have that relationship. I don't have to have that sin. I don't have to have that stuff. And the last thing he says, and follow me. I think one of the things that I realize after having led a church now for 13 years, is, is that 
there's many people that have come to faith in word. There's many people that have come to faith where they, they have said, yes, I believe, but that's as far as it went. What it means to take on the rule of Jesus Christ is that I have to stay under his, his rule. I'm continually hearing from him. I'm continually wanting to know his thoughts so that that can go into my life and it can spread throughout my, my life. And so what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? If anyone can do it, if what Jesus requires is that we deny ourselves and continually that as he reveals things to us, as we see, hey, this is where I have stuff that I need to get rid of. This is where I have stuff that I've, I've loved too much. This is where I have stuff that is taking too much of my life, that we're denying ourselves. We're taking up his rule and his reign, and then we remain with him. We remain with him. So it's one thing to acknowledge it. It's one thing to say that, yes, Jesus I want to deny myself. I want to take on my cross. It's another thing to say, I am going to follow you. I am going to be a follower of Jesus. This morning is the time. Now is the day of salvation. This moment, this place in obedience to God, the recognition must come in your mind that I have not been a follower of Jesus. I've been dabbling with Jesus. I've been kind of playing with the idea of Christianity. I really have an affinity group of people that I go to school with, that, I, that I've just attended a place with. But the, the reality is, is that I've not denied myself. He is not my ruler. I do whatever I want. I jump to the beat of whatever culture tells me to do. I've just been in the midst of it. Today is the, the day. Now is the time. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's to recognize this. That I am so sinful or have been so sinful that God has to die for me. I'm so sinful that Jesus Christ had to die in order to save me. But I'm so loved that he was willing to die for me. So coming to Jesus means this. I'm going to put out the thoughts that say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to put off the idea that my will is ultimate. I'm going to put off the idea that I'm in charge, that I'm in control, that whatever I love is what I love and that's what I should do. And I'm going to recognize that Jesus paid for those sins on the cross and that he can save me eternally. The American dream is not saving you. The American dream is not fulfilling you. Men and women, we have gained the world, but we have lost ourselves. We have lost our soul. 
And this morning, I want to do something that I don't normally do. I want to pray for you. I'm, I'm already standing, but if I could stand a little higher, I would, and just say, I want more of Jesus. But I just want to ask you this morning, if you'd stand with me, if you would like to say this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to invite you, just don't, don't be ashamed of him this morning. I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time. And that's okay. But I want to invite you to do so. Okay. I want to invite you to do this. If you're somebody who says, I think that I have really not denied myself and that I have just continually just kind of lived for myself and done my own thing, Maybe I've just been Christian in name only. I want to invite you to stand so that I can pray for you this morning. Is there anybody here that would say that? There you go. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Can I pray for you right now? Lord Jesus, I pray for these folks that have stood. Lord, I, I pray for them that you would bring about an amazing passion in us. God, we want more of you. We want more of your life in us. Lord, we want you to take us. We want to live under your rule and under your reign. Lord, would you overwhelm us with your goodness and your grace? Would you awaken us to that? So Lord, this morning I'm praying that each of these folks that have stood here this morning, Lord, that they would determine to look into your word and to see you for who you are, to jump to your orders, to listen to you, and Lord, that they would begin to start a new relationship with you. Not that they didn't have one before, but Lord, that it would be new, that it would be fresh, that it would be powerful. Lord, that they would have new experiences with you. Lord, that they would be passionate for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Let's partake of communion together as the band comes up here. Would you just take a moment right now? And would you process for a minute, do business with the Lord. Where's the sin in my life? Where have I not denied myself? Who is somebody in this church body that I need to reconcile with before I go any further? If you have business to do with someone, if someone's offended you and you have not gone to them, and resolve that, I encourage you not to partake in communion this morning. If someone's offended you, if you've offended someone else and you know about it, and you haven't resolved that, I encourage you to do that this morning without partaking in communion. Let's take a moment to ourselves. Let's just talk to the Lord.
Lord, forgive us for our sins, all of the, the ways that we've denied you instead of denying ourselves. Lord, may we live unashamedly for you. Thank you for going to the cross. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is spilled out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing, what you've done. Thank you for your hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.